If you've got your Bibles this morning, you can flip over to Galatians. And an easy way to remember these little books is General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I had to get through my presbytery exams somehow. So they wanted to have all the books of the Bible in order. Go figure. So Galatians is the one we're looking at. It's a letter that Paul wrote to an area of what is now sort of south-central Turkey. And Paul had gone and he'd started these churches there and he was now had left and was moving on to different areas, but he would write and correspond with them to encourage them. Now there was something going on in these churches. There were other leaders who were coming into the church after him and were saying, did Paul teach this to you that it's by grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone that you're saved? Well, that's sort of true, but you got to do a little work too. You who are Gentiles, you have to get circumcised. You have to have a marking on your body that shows that you are really God's. You have to really obey the law, and then God will fully accept you. It's as if they said of Paul, Paul got you about 90% of the way. We're going to take you that last 10%, but you got to work for that last 10%. Paul didn't take lightly to that at all. Remember what we talked about last week as we began this series, the series being called Finally Free. Paul said in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm in that. Do not flinch. Stand firm. And do not return ever again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the things of this world. Don't go back to law and moralism and things that earn your position with people, thinking that you can earn your position with God. But stand firm in the freedom that comes by grace alone. And Paul, we're going to talk about it over the next few weeks, Paul had nothing good to say about these other teachers who came in and said, well, it's grace plus something else. It's Jesus Christ plus something else. He basically said they need to be damned to hell. And if they're a male, they need to be emasculated and damned to hell. That's how much Paul couldn't stand this pervasive other gospel that was coming in. Because he said, at the end of the day, if we stand before God and God says... Why should I let you into my heaven? Those old EE questions, if you remember them. Why should I let you into my heaven? If you say Jesus plus anything, God says you don't get to come in. Well, I believe in Jesus, but I worked really hard. I I talk to people regularly when they want to join the church, and I ask them, I say, tell me a little bit about your life. And they say something like this. Well, I've worked really hard to be a good Christian. I've worked really hard to do this. What that's saying is it's Jesus plus. I believe in Jesus, but I know that I've had to do a lot too. The answer to the question of why should God let you into his heaven is for you to look and go, there's absolutely no reason except for this person standing here, Jesus Christ. And by faith in him and my belief in his perfect work, I I get to come in. He goes, right answer. We looked a few weeks ago at that great exchange of taking Christ's notebook and all of his life and he gives that to you and you give him your notebook with all the mess of your life and he says, he took that and nailed it to a tree. In Colossians it said, and that certificate of debt, he took and nailed it to a tree. It doesn't get to cry out against you anymore. You're free from that. That's what Paul was preaching. Paul was preaching freedom. And he was preaching freedom in such a way that people got confused. He preached freedom in Christ so strongly that their thought was this. You mean I get to go out and sin? That grace could abound? Folks, when the gospel's properly taught, that is one of the reasonable responses. Because it sounds so good. 
But then Paul was burning. He said, no, may it never be. Though you, though you get, I see how you could get there. He goes, no, because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because of everything that he's done, you would want to live the most holy, sanctified life that you possibly could. You would want to live closely to the Ten Commandments, not because you have to to earn his favor, but because you get to. There's a story of uh, a slave in the 1860s. Uh, I can't confirm whether this is a true story, but the essence of it is important. That she came to uh, her slave owner and he said, I'm emancipating you. I'm freeing you. You get to go. And she stayed there. He said, I'm not sure you heard me. I'm freeing you. You get to go. You can go anywhere you want to go. And she said, okay. He said, so where do you want to go? She said, I don't know. He said, well, what do you want to do? She said, I don't know. He said, then what are you telling me? She says, I think that I just want to stay with you. When you realize the beauty of what God has given you, you realize you want to stay around him. You realize that absolute freedom actually comes in following him and living with him and living according to his house rules. That's the beauty of the gospel, folks. Some of you are coming here today from church backgrounds and religious backgrounds. Some of you have been out of church for a long time and you're tipping your toe back in and you're waiting to hear whether this new pastor here is going to beat you over the head with rules. I'm not. For Paul said, by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of a work that none could boast. It's God's work in you. For freedom Christ has set you free. Do not move, but stand firm. And so in light of that, he begins now to, to write this letter to the Galatian church. And if you've got your Bibles, flip over there to Galatians 5, 1, or you can, or Galatians 1, 1, and you can look uh, probably on the screen. Um, this is from the American ESV, the English Standard Version. And it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor man, through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it this morning. Here's Paul. Normally in Paul's letters, he writes and starts out something like this. I, Paul, writing you and think of you often in my prayers, and I thank my God regularly for you, for I bring remembrance of you to mind, and I pray for you, and I love you, and all of those things. Look how he starts out here. Paul jumps right in. He says, Paul, an apostle of God, not established by men, or by the authority of man, but by God himself. Paul basically comes in and he says, listen, I'm speaking from an authoritative position. I am an apostle set apart by Jesus Christ himself on the road to Damascus. I saw him. And my life was forever changed from being Saul, the persecutor of the church, to now Paul, the defender of the church, the ministry uh, to all of the nations. I, Paul, am standing in authority and speaking to you now. He took on that mantle of a rabbi in a different way, sort of like Jesus did. I believe I've mentioned this to you before, but in the synagogue, the way that teaching was done was all the rabbis would be around and all the teachers and the elders of the church would be around and they would talk about certain things and one person would stand to begin to talk and he would say, this is my understanding of this. 
And then everyone would converse about it. And if they thought that it was true, they would say, Amen and Amen. Verily, verily, truly, truly. Think about how Jesus began most of his teaching, especially when he went into a synagogue. Remember how he started it? Truly, truly, I say to you, verily, verily, in the King James, or amen and amen. What Jesus was basically saying was, I don't care what you think. You don't get to determine whether or not what I'm saying is true. It's true. Paul steps in in the same way. He says, folks, what I'm about to speak to you is of absolute importance. And no one, no other teacher, nobody can oppose me in that. Because I'm an apostle of God. So he sets his position up first. And then he begins in and he begins to teach. And the two words we're going to pick up on today, uh, over and against everything else, are the words he says, grace and peace be to you. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. Coming, and those are two words that are really of the essence of the gospel message. The gospel is simply good news. And Paul was coming and preaching the gospel to these folks, preaching the gospel to us today. He wants you to hear good news. It's good news, by the way. How do you respond? If somebody showed up at your door this afternoon, 2 o'clock, with a $10 million check, how would you respond? You'd be a little fired up, right? Guess what? I'm giving to you today something so much more valuable than $10 million. And so often we respond by going, hmm. You know, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. I get it. Some of you are coming from different backgrounds and you don't understand. But here's basically, let me, let me give you a Presbyterian amen. You want to hear it? Hmm. Oh, no. If you really, if you're a pastor and you get a Presbyterian congregation to go, hmm, you've got an amen. So it's okay, though, to get a little more joyful than that about these things. For Paul is coming and saying, I've got good news for you. I am bringing to you grace, unmerited favor from God himself, who you were opposed to, who you were an enemy of, who you had no place in his kingdom or in his economy. And I'm bringing you grace from him. This grace, and we're going to unpack it a little bit. This grace is active in your life. It is a force that is at work within you. And more than just bringing you grace, I'm bringing you shalom. I'm bringing you peace, that you are now at peace with God And because you're at peace with him, peace, shalom, will reign in your life and you will be an agent of peace in the world around you. But it comes through the power of the gospel. That gospel, that good news, which basically says a couple of things. It says, cheer up. Cheer up. God loves you. Cheer up. You're worse than you want to think you are. Chew on that one for a second. But cheer up. God works in your weakness. And though you're worse than you want to believe you are, you are more loved in him than you ever dared dream or imagine. That's the beauty of the gospel message. Martin Luther put it this way. He talked about the gospel and he said, Here I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel which teaches me Not what I ought to do, that's what the law does. But what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. That he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. 
The gospel wills me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article, the most important article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary is it, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into our heads continually. Do you want to know why I'm going to say to you over and over again, preach the gospel to yourself every day? You want to know why I'm going to tell you that? Because you forget the gospel every single day. We are all recovering legalists. We are recovering moralists who want to believe that we merit God's favor. We could walk in here every week and in the greeting time I could say, Hi, I'm Bill McCutcheon. I'm a recovering legalist. And you'd all go, Hi, Bill. And you'd welcome me because guess who you are? You're recovering legalists. Because you look around and you postured yourself today, whether you know it or not. For some of you, you got dressed up because you believe that that you're supposed to wear your best in front of the king of glory. For others, you got dressed up because that's what you're supposed to do. And you didn't want to look silly in front of others and you're posturing. We do a lot of things in posturing. Jesus is saying, you don't have to posture with me. I've made the only pose that's necessary and it was on a cross. And now everything else is free. And so Paul comes and he says, grace and peace to you. So grace, what is grace? Grace is, one way to to think about grace is to look at it as uh, an an acronym. That you can look at it and say, uh, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's right, isn't it, grace? I think I worked, I didn't come up with that. So, but John Piper changed it a little bit. Piper said this, he said, grace can be remembered as God's rescuing and caring exertion. Basically, he was saying grace is active on God's part. Grace is in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Grace is God's exertion in our lives to help us. Or in Romans 5, 21, as sin reigned in death, grace also will reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace is like a powerful king who exerts his reign in the lives of Christians. We live in a society that says, you only get what you deserve. There isn't grace. There isn't mercy. You earn whatever you have. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And all of a sudden, here comes this gospel which says, guess what, folks? You're going to get something that you don't deserve and you could never earn. You're going to not get something that you do deserve. That's mercy. That's the other side of it. We should get justice and we get mercy. I have sons. I have kids. Many of you do. Or I'm around people a lot. And it's interesting how often people want justice, don't they? This isn't right. I want it to be right. I've been treated poorly. This isn't fair. I want justice. And my response will always be, no, you don't. I promise you, you do not want justice. You want grace in your life. You want grace in your life. Is there a place for justice in the world? Absolutely. But what we're normally saying in that is, we we just don't understand it. And we bring that here to the gospel and we don't get it. And Jesus is trying to say, and Paul is communicating to you today, you get grace today. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that today that you have received grace? 
do you also understand that you don't deserve it? In order to receive grace, you have to be humble. You have to say, I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough. I don't look good enough. I'll never be good enough. I'm not, I don't have what it takes. And God says, now you're getting it. Now I can bless you because you see you don't deserve it. You're worse than you want to believe you are, the beginning point. So then that you can see that God in his love is greater than you ever dared dream or imagine. As one songwriter put it, it's an orphan's wildest dream. What would an orphan want more than anything else? To be adopted. They just want to be adopted. Can you imagine if they were adopted by the king of the universe? Oh, that's beyond the best. Beyond what we could imagine. That's what we get. And then we get this other thing. He says, grace to you. God's work in your life. Grace working in your life. A power working in your life to make all things right and new. This grace active in your life. But also peace. Most of us think peace is simply the absence of conflict, and that's not true at all. Peace is knowing in the midst of conflict that everything's going to be okay, that it's well with your soul, that peace is a deep and a profound knowing that in the middle of it all, God is on his throne. And folks, that's not a platitude. That's not something that I just throw around at you. But do you know that in the middle of whatever mess you've got going on in your life, whatever struggle you've got going on in your life, there is one truth above every other truth that should bring you peace in the middle of it, and that's this. God hasn't moved. Do you know that? I had a tough week this week with some things going on, with different things both personally and other stuff. And the one thing I had to keep coming back to in the midst of me starting to wrestle with it was, God, you haven't moved. And because you haven't moved, I don't have to fret. Here's what a person who doesn't have peace looks like. Just keep going, just keep going, keep going. I used to have a gerbil wheel in my office. Y'all know what a gerbil wheel is? I used to have gerbils growing up. It was a little metal wheel and it would squeak. And it goes, and that gerbil would get on and it would run and run and run and run and run and run. And you look at that gerbil and go, what a stupid animal. It's running and running and running. It's like me on a treadmill, running and running and running and getting absolutely nowhere. I just sit there and I go and I go and I go and I go and I go. There's no peace in that. God is saying, I'm trying to give you my peace. And that peace is different from what you think it is. That peace, the word peace, the Jewish word shalom, doesn't simply mean no conflict. It actually means flourishing. You realize that. That what God is trying to give you isn't simply the absence of conflict. He wants you to flourish. He says that when he created the world, it was at peace. It was in shalom. Everything was woven together beautifully. Relationships, all things were together beautifully. Sin entered the world, and guess what happened? That tapestry began to be pulled apart. It was being unwoven. What peace does is it brings back that wovenness. The tapestry is getting put back together. There's a flourishing in your life that you're now involved in other people's lives. And guess what you take and bring to them? Shalom. Peace. Flourishing. Health back to their relationships. Health back to their inner conversation. I was with somebody this week and listening to her talk, all she could talk was hatred to herself. You're a failure. You're a mess. You're all of this. And all I was trying to say back to her was, you know that God absolutely adores you. He's going to work this out. He's there for you. 
trying to bring peace to her so she could flourish. That's what peace is all about. There was a writer who wrote this about uh, peace. And he, his name is Cornelius Plantingen. And the book, if you're interested in it, is called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. It's an excellent book. And he basically says this. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, listen to this, this is great. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. You ever thought about how things ought to be? You ever wondered how it was in the garden with Adam and Eve? It says that they walked in the cool of the garden and they could hear the voice of their Lord. And there was an intimacy and things were right. And it was broken. But guess what we get again one day? The garden. All brought back the way it ought to be. And guess what we get to have foretaste of now? This isn't just something out there, folks. You can actually begin to experience it now. Do you believe that? Do you? Because if you don't, you, you're missing it. If you don't believe now that the beauty of the shalom that one day will be perfect is already penetrating into your life and can make you flourish, no wonder you're downcast. We, we have a, I've, I've been wanting to write a book for years about basically looking at a Winnie the Pooh theology. You've got some people who are just so unrealistic, they're tiggers. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm happy, I'm fine, I'm happy. But then you've got other folks who are Eeyores. So how's life today? It's beautiful, but it's probably going to rain. I got a new house, but it's probably going to get foreclosed on. Girl went to the prom with me, but she'll probably break up with me Monday. You know, you're just like, folks. God is saying today, grace and peace are yours. There's a brilliance of this heaven and this new life that are penetrating into your world now. So instead of looking around and seeing all the brokenness, why don't you begin to look now and see the glimpses of the glory that's already there? Looking into the lives of people around you and help foster that peace in their lives. Help explain and encourage them in the grace that is given to us in Christ. And here's the source of it. And this is where we'll end the day. Here's the source of that peace. It says, grace and peace to you from, that means it's from something, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up and he died for us. You see, this peace and grace that we're talking about, you cannot find it anywhere else. It is an exclusive offer found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can look into yourself and try to find peace and you're not going to find it. You can look around to others and try to find grace from others. And you may find it for a little while until you push them just past their point of being able to be gracious to you. You can look into your work and try to find flourishing and peace. You can look into your school. You can look into your academics. You can look into your golf game. You can look into your house, what plantation you live in, whatever it is. You can look and you can try to demand of those things peace and demand of those things grace. But guess what you're going to find? Absolute disappointment. This says this grace and this peace comes from one exclusive source. And that exclusive source is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says if you want to experience these things in your life, then what you've got to start doing is giving up the other sources. 
You can still, it, it actually makes it to where you can enjoy those things more, doesn't it? Because if I'm not demanding of my wife and my children my peace, because when I'm demanding my peace from them, when I'm demanding that they be my peace, I'm going to ruin them. Because then when boys are boys, and Lisa lives out the broken life that she has in front of me and my broken life, then I'm not at peace and I get angry with them because they're messing up my peace. You ever felt that way? Maybe I'm the only one. But you come home and you say, it's Sunday afternoon, I'm just going to kick up and I'm going to rest and relax. And something goes haywire and you resent the individual who caused your haywire to go. You'd planned out your perfect life. You knew how you were going to live. You knew how you were going to retire. You had it all mapped out. And then this silly economy goes whack and you're going, I'm not at peace and I resent the government and I resent the bank and I resent everybody. And you're not at peace. Why? Because you demanded peace from a source that couldn't give you peace. Guess what? That house is going to burn. The boat's going to sink. The golf course is going to get grown over. Your spouse is going to disappoint you. Your parents or parents are going to disappoint you, kids. I hate to break that to you. You may not already know that, but they will. And parents, your kids are going to disappoint you. That doesn't mean you can't have peace. Because if you look at the Prince of Peace and say, God, in the middle of this, I know you love me and you are for me and not against me. That you have my name written, that I am a friend of God and that though everything is chaos, you're in that boat with me. You ever think about that? There's a story of the disciples. Jesus sent them out in a boat and guess what they ran into in the middle of the lake? A storm. Did they cause the storm? Did their sin cause the storm? Was it punishment? No. It was just Jesus trying to say to them, folks, storms are going to come, but I'm your peace. I'm greater than any storm that comes. I speak to waves and they settle. I speak to wind and it stops. I I speak to Goliaths and they are slain in front of me. I'm your peace. And I give it to you with grace that you don't deserve. For it's from me. He says, in that, I'm delivering you from this present evil age. Because what he's saying in that is this. This world is bondage to you. If you buy into this world, you will be in bondage. If you look at the popularity polls, you know the danger of popularity polls? They change. And you'll never know what people think of you. You will always walk in insecure. Because you'll never know what they really believe about you. God is saying, I'm freeing you from that. You're going to live in this world but you're not of this world. Your marching orders come from a king from someplace else. Your identity is established someplace else. So now you get to enjoy this life. I get to enjoy my kids more. I get to enjoy my wife. I get to enjoy my work. I get to enjoy life more. Why? Because I'm not identified by it. I hope you like me, but if you don't, oh well. My God in heaven does. I hope that my wife and I live out the rest of our lives together. But if for some reason that falls apart, I'm going to be okay. I hope that my sons turn out a particular way, but if they don't, it doesn't, it's not me. My identity is established in Christ. And he looks at you and says, let me redeem your identity. Let me take the pressure off and let you flourish in this life. That's a good offer, folks. And it only comes in the gospel. 
Now we're done with the sermon, and this is just going to be me telling you something, okay? I'm new here, and so you're figuring out this whole trust relationship with me. And I hope that our church grows, but I'm not really worried about that. That's not what it's all about. But I do want to say this to you. I'm giving you my word on this. If you bring a friend to this church who's unchurched, who doesn't come to church, you know has been burned up by it, I promise you I'm not going to say anything to them other than what you're hearing me say. I'm not going to beat on them if they're Catholic. I'm not going to beat on them if they're Baptist or Jewish backgrounds. I'm not going to be talking about stuff like that. I want you to know that in this church you can bring bruised, broken people because we want them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news. We want them to come to faith, not to tell them that they're wrong in something else, but to tell them this is what's so right about the good news of the gospel. We want this church to be a safe place. And I want you to feel safe, to bring your friends here, to bring your neighbors here, that they can come and they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And the moment that you stop hearing that from me is the moment that you need to challenge me and I need to go someplace else. But what we're going to preach here and what we're going to do here is celebrate the goodness of the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ, the peace and shalom from his hand and his grace and mercy that are ours in him. Is that okay with you guys? And I want us to celebrate. When we sing, I want the roof to rattle. I want us to go out and to live fully on this island and in Bluffton and the surrounding areas. And those of you who are visiting, that when you go back to wherever you're going back and you're going to root for Duke or Carolina or, or Ohio, not Duke, I'm sorry. Um, the Nymans are over here. And I, I love your family, but they're Duke fans. I just, they're friends of mine from uh, Rock Hill. And, uh, but you're going to go back. What I want you to go back with is the gift of grace and the beauty of the gospel to take and shine and bring peace and shalom wherever you go. Oh, how good and how pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity, in peace together. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you and we thank you. We bring you glory in Christ's name. For it says at the end of this passage, to the praise and glory of God the Father. All of this is for your name to be glorified. We couldn't come up with a gospel like this. We couldn't figure out how to do this, but you did, and it amazes us. God, we thank you, and we are in awe and wonder. For some who are here this morning, uh, today is the moment in their lives that you have set for them to come and to believe in you. And so we pray for them that they would come and they would give their hearts to you and that you would overwhelm them with your grace and they would sense a peace, that they are now at peace with their God. And there is a sense deep within them of knowing that all of a sudden broken things are brought back together. All of a sudden the tears that have been caused and the wounds that have been caused by this life begin to be healed because the salve of the gospel is there. It's this healing in its wings, power to overcome all of our enemies. God, we praise you and we thank you and we pray that your spirit would be active in our lives, that we would walk out in strength and that we would see you in all of your glory and we would tell everyone we know about our great God. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's